0: There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now here are your hosts, Kim Foskey and Dr. Dana Saperstein.
1: All right, Fear Me Outers. Uh, we're going to continue uh, our series on on relationships and, and what makes relationships work. And uh, it'll just be Dana and I today. And uh, I guess the first question I have for Dana... Uh, is what makes a healthy relationship work?
0: Well, Kim, I think that the, the, the first major ingredient in having a healthy relationship is having one with yourself and knowing yourself as deeply as you are willing and that uh, the more connected you are to yourself, the more likely it is you're going to have a healthy relationship with the people in your life, especially a romantic partner.
1: So we've talked about this probably on multiple podcasts, including probably one on its own. But how do we get in touch with ourselves? How do we really know ourselves? Because I think it's very cliche today to say that, yeah, I, I know myself. I, I've done the work. Uh, um, I'm enlightened in, in all those other buzzwords that are out there. But for those people that have actually done the work and observe other people out there that say they have done the work, they haven't done the work. And so peeling off a layer or two isn't really doing the work. So how do we know, how do we really know ourselves?
0: Well, I think that uh, to know yourself, number one, it takes making a decision. That it's probably one of the most important things you can do in your life as an adult is um, do a deep dive into your psychology um, to, to know how the relationships you had growing up and how your parents and all of that stuff, how it contributed to you becoming the person that you are. And and
1: taking a look at patterns that have affected your life and your decision making.
0: Well, especially in the name of love, because we are all without realizing it uh, presented with a template by our family about what's required of us in order to be loved by them. And uh, again, if you think about your own experience, As a child, you were required to uh, not be the sensitive person that you are, to kind of stuff your feelings away and uh, try to do the best you could to please your parents because you lived in fear of violence and and humiliation and shame, and that has a pretty powerful effect on, again, how things uh, move forward for you in the name of love. Uh, You know, your first wife, second wife, both people that required from your perspective to be rescued from their their pain and suffering is that fair to say absolutely and how did that how did that happen from your understanding of yourself now
1: it, well it happened because of the pattern that i experienced growing up of of being a caretaker um wanting to make everything okay um taking on other people's emotions taking on other people's pain It was familiar for me. It was, again, my form of validation and and credibility um, and the way that I sought love.
0: Okay. And um, so what compelled you to take a look at yourself on as deep a level as you have based on those experiences?
1: And I think I've mentioned this before if people have listened uh, throughout the 30 or some odd episodes now. Um, it, It was a feeling. Um, Inside of me, that anything that I tried, anything that I did, um, whether that was making more money, whether that was having kids, whether that was getting a bigger house, whether that was making everything right for um, my wife and my life at that time, um, there was still this unsettled feeling within me. And even after getting divorced and and working through that dynamic, there still was that unsettled feeling within me that I was, and I hate to use the term, I was living a lie. Um, And it wasn't really, I was living a lie. I was living how I knew at that moment, the best that I could. It was that I was being an actor in my life at that time is the best way I can describe it. Right. I was, um, conditioned to be somebody that I probably wasn't meant to be in that way, in, in terms of, of taking on, again, people's emotions and, and, and trying to put out fires and, and, and taking on other people's energy and, and just trying to make it better. Um, so it was that uncomfortable feeling that I still had. And a conscious decision that I finally had to make To say, i got to figure out what that feeling is. And i got to live my life a little bit differently than I've been living it for this period of time.
0: So um, you listened to that voice inside of you. I'm assuming that that voice was your intuition telling you that your recipe for love was based on false pretenses. Maybe it didn't come out exactly like that, but that's really what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I I think through a period of getting to understand myself and really doing the work and getting through the grief, the sorrow, the pain, the unhappiness um, and achieving that clarity that actually it was uh, my intuition telling me how I need to be loved in the future.
0: So that voice must've been strong enough to get your attention, obviously. And then it takes courage to move forward. Most people uh, have an easier time externalizing their problems and seeing the world as being the source of their discomfort and the things that don't go well.
1: Well, I did. I mean, I certainly did that. Right. You know, it it was so much easier to to armchair quarterback and, and finger point and, and blame everything or everyone for what you're feeling. Um, But I did come to the ultimate conclusion that there's a common denominator in all of your problems, and that's you. Right. And so it was how I was viewing not only my internal self, but it was also how I was viewing the external self as well. And looking in the mirror, um, it wasn't what I saw, it was what I felt. And I didn't feel like... I knew who I was when I looked in the mirror. It was like, boy, you've put on the charade and have been a chameleon in, in so many situations, but you have no idea who you are.
0: Well, the result of that for a lot of people in my experience, Kim, is that uh, you can't ever trust the love that comes your way because on some very deep level, you know that it's not based on who you are. It's based on who you needed to become to survive And so that is a recipe for disaster because if you can't trust the love that you're getting, how do you ever feel secure in a relationship?
1: Yeah. And I probably could have, if, if, if my wife hadn't asked for divorce, I probably could have gone on for years, you know, just that same way thinking, okay, this is my lot in life. I I don't know what this uncomfortable feeling is, but you know, uh, the way I know love and and the way I know relationships, maybe this is as good as it gets. And um, I just got to continue, you know, moving on the the way I feel and and the way I've been dealing with things. Um, So I I think not that getting a divorce or or being divorced or or being a single father is essentially a good thing, Um, but it did finally allow me um, the ability to figure it out going forward.
0: Uh, you know, Kim, this brings up a concept that you and I've talked a lot about, which is where your center is as a person. Um, when you're brought up the way that you were brought up and the way I was brought up, our center is external. Right. Our, our, our orientation toward our relationships with other people comes in the feeling of anxiety that if we don't take care of them, then we're not going to be in a safe place.
1: Well, I certainly saw other people and, and, and saw other relationships, sought out other relationships, you know, um, especially with, with father figures or parental figures, because I saw something better out there, but I didn't really think that was for me.
0: Okay. So at some point you switched the, uh, the energy from being a, looking externally for the solution to what ails you, to looking internal, looking internally to figure out what you needed to heal, in order to be able to receive the kind of love that you were looking for. Fair to say,
1: it's fair to say because I, I'm a big believer that the answer is always within. Um, all of us. It just it, it took help, um, through psychotherapy and and other people that that had been through that process. To get me to really believe that the answer wasn't external or somebody was going to provide me that answer, but somebody was going to help me figure it out because I had the answer within.
0: So again, that brings up the concept of being centered within yourself. And again, I want to make sure that people understand that we're not talking about being self-centered, which is obnoxious and nobody likes a self-centered person. Uh, So I don't want people to mistake the notion that if you're centered in yourself, that you're a self-centered person. It just means that you're centered within yourself and that you trust your intuition and you feel a strong connection to your soul and, and who you are and that you are sort of have a sacred relationship with what your intuition is uh, trying to provide you, whatever the information might be.
1: Maybe being self-centered at some point in my life would have been a good boundary, actually. <laughs> not, not, not to be self-centered your whole life, but maybe it would have been a good boundary at some point. To,
0: well, I think that occasionally... Uh, but
1: I'm so far away from being a self-centered person that it would be the antithesis right. of the ice, iceberg, right?
0: Well, I think sometimes if you're centered in yourself, you do get a feeling like you have to have really strong boundaries in relationship to certain people, which could appear to look like being self-centered but it's only because your body's telling you that that's not somebody to trust and that's not somebody that you should let in to your life in any deep way.
1: I, I think it's important that we reiterate too when you talk about getting finding your center, that this isn't something that is really easily done and it's not something that's done in a moment of time, but it's an evolution and a, and a journey. And it and it takes accountability and responsibility to yourself, right, to get there.
0: You're absolutely right about that. But one thing that's that I tell people that I think uh, people find very reassuring is that you were born centered within yourself, and everybody pretty much, with the exception maybe of people that were, you know, fetal alcohol babies or some other situation that happens where you're. Uh, kind of poisoned in the womb. And so it, you come out in a certain way, that's not particularly healthy, but generally speaking, babies are very, very centered within themselves. They cry when they're hungry, when they need comfort, when, you know, when they're tired, whatever, there's no hesitation in expressing your needs as a baby at all for most people. And we're very slowly or sometimes quickly shamed out of, uh, of being centered within ourselves Or we just automatically start to focus on the pain of others because if you are with people who are in an enormous amount of pain and they're pretending like everything's normal, it's going to create anxiety inside of you because you can't tell what's real, what your body's telling you, which is you're in danger, or what the people around you are telling you, which is everything's fine and what are you making such a big deal about? So um, oftentimes we surrender to the reality of the people that bring us into the world, even though our bodies tell us otherwise.
1: So a center, it gets knocked off balance.
0: Absolutely. And it happens in the best intended parents. It's not always. Uh, um, Malicious. No, not at all. I mean, it, it, some of it is culturally dependent. Um, I was uh, uh, watching a show the other night about the Korean culture. There was a Korean family and they were having in the show a lot of trauma, but the young woman in the, in the show was talking about the idea that if you're Korean from her perspective, you don't deal with your feelings. You shut your feelings down and you put them away because um, it's very much frowned upon in that culture to consider how you feel. If your parents come from that place and they're um, showing you that behavior and they're teaching you that that's the way to be, they don't do it out of maliciousness. They do it because that's what they were taught and and that's how the society operates, even though it causes a lot of problems. And, And the, you know, this young woman was talking about how she starts to burn up on the inside Because she was not designed to swallow her feelings and to push them away. Um, And so they create a fire inside of her that creates a a lot of problems. I know it was a TV show, but I think it was a fairly good representation of what happens when you have to bend yourself into the shape of a pretzel in order to please the people that you want to feel loved by.
1: So so again, going back to how, how do we find that center?
0: Well, the good thing is that it's, it's no matter what happens to you, it remains present inside your body. It may get pushed away and you may forget where it is, but once you start to, once you make the decision, it's how you want to live your life. I think that there's a natural process that starts to happen that, uh, that that part of you starts to speak up again. And um, again, a lot of times we're, we're stubborn, so we don't listen to the whisper. And then, it speaks up louder, in the, sometimes in the form of symptoms. And the symptoms only have to get as severe as your willingness to listen to what they're trying to tell you. So uh, that's why if, when people come to see me and they feel pathologized by their symptoms, I try to help them understand that, yeah, your symptoms are incredibly annoying and they don't serve you very well, but they are a form of communication that they're trying to help you understand um, what it is that you're not listening to inside your body. That's really different than wondering what's wrong with you and trying to figure out some way of curing some path pathology. Um, it's just a different relationship toward yourself. It's one of compassion and, and seeking an understanding as opposed to hating yourself and continuing with that feeling of self-loathing.
1: It's a constant journey, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not something that, you know, we can sit here and easily tell you to do. Um, I think there's in fact, I'm reading a book right now um, which has a very good context um, based on Freud's id and super ego and, and ego and and really having this this conscious observation and letting go and in the book makes it sound so easy to let it go and I think it it, it misses on a lot of 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 points of of I think people, um, you and I were talking about this earlier where I had mentioned that I think um, life has gotten really difficult or maybe too difficult for a lot of people where they've just kind of checked out um, in there. And I think you made the differentiation is that that people are just fearful, right? And which is the premise of this podcast, right? Yes. Um, and and again, checking out just based on the fear and, and, and either surrendering to it, not wanting to deal with it, running away from it instead of managing it.
0: You know, Kim, it takes a certain devotion, I think, to be willing to feel what you need to feel in order to heal. Because, you know, you and I have talked a lot about the different kinds of therapy that are available. Most of them are intellectually based, insight based. So the more you know about yourself, conceivably, uh, the better things are going to work out for you. What I see more than anything is that the more you know about yourself, but if you haven't dealt with the feelings associated with whatever it is you need to deal with, you just become an educated, miserable person. (laughs) And so the idea is, yeah, we all want to know. We all, you know, nobody has a feeling that they don't try to explain in some way. Um, But the key is to really learn how to tolerate the passion that your feelings will bring to you if you choose to let them be the central part of your existence. And, um, yeah, it's a little bit scary, but you know, maybe it's just because of the way that I'm designed that I really enjoy the feeling of intense emotion. Um, I lost one of my animals recently and I can't even tell you how devastating it was. And I cried for hours and, you know, by the time I was done, I was destroyed. But at the same time, I felt like I, I honored this loving, um, you know, this animal that was so important to me and that I, and that I w- was able to really process the depth of my connection to him and how much I'm going to miss him. And every time I look outside and see where he's buried, I just, th- oh, it just gives me the feeling like, oh, my poor little guy, where is he? <laughs> you know. And I don't think that that makes me a pathetic person, but I will say that it makes me someone who uh, is very much run by his emotion. And again, I don't want you to get the idea that I'm just encouraging people to f- f- express whatever they feel Without using their brain to figure out, you know, uh, whether they should be expressing that feeling or not. Um, because that's what I believe why we, we were given our intellect is to decide what to do about how we feel. Right? If I, if I get stopped by the police, I'm not going to express my feelings. That would be really stupid. All that's going to do is increase the fine I get for telling the person that, you know, that they're an idiot for stopping me and giving me a ticket for speeding. You don't do that under those circumstances.
1: So people now understand that they have to know themselves. Yes. Which is the foundation of a healthy relationship, not only with yourself, but with, with somebody else. Yes. So now we have listeners that that are out there listening that are either in relationships that, that are either good relationships, or they may think are unhealthy, or they're thinking about leaving a partner or they're out there dating or thinking, why can I, why can't I ever find a partner? Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about not only healthy dependency, which you and I talked about um, in a previous episode, but actually how to have a good picker when you're, when you're actually looking for a mate, um, a long-term partnership um, with somebody, and, and how, how people can actually do that. I know that eventually we'll have a, a, a dating expert on here, so anybody that's single out there. Um, that, that will be coming up in, in future episodes. But, you know, the context of, of actually finding your person, I think, is easy for somebody like you. And, and I'm saying that only because of, of your story. And I'm sure you'll tell your story again of how, of how you found your wife. And extremely difficult for somebody like me.
0: You know, Kim, I really believe it gets down to how you feel about yourself deep down inside. You know, you and I have talked a lot about the concept of manifesting your reality, and and uh, part of that reality is finding a romantic partner. Um, we I, should probably
1: talk about manifesting first because uh-huh. I—that's I, another cliche term. I think that's thrown out there um, in the media and on social media and and, and in books. That all you have to do is have these positive thoughts about what you want in your life and it magically happens, right? And you and I have talked about magic thinking and that's magical thinking, right? Right. Manifesting actually is a thing. But again, going back to how we started this episode about knowing yourself and having a good understanding about yourself and having that mental clarity, that's what you can manifest from. You You can't be clouded or not know yourself and actually have healthy manifesting.
0: Well, that's, there. I mean, the simplest observation of that is people that win the lotto.
1: Right, right and, right. and are broke the next week.
0: Well, within two years, 80% of the people that win enormous amounts of money are worse off than they were before they won the money. They've lost all their friends. They've lost all the money. Their lives are completely destroyed. They lose, usually lose their family. Uh, And the reason that, in my opinion, that that happens is because um, they get a windfall that they don't, deep down inside, feel like they deserve. So they become very self-destructive and careless. And I believe that's the same thing that happens in most of our relationships, that if you don't believe you deserve uh, clean love...
1: You'll manifest the same thing back into your life over and over.
0: That's right. And, you know, how many people do you know? I know tons that, you know, they finally get the courage to leave a relationship and they think that that's the answer which a lot of times it is, but then they go find the same person in another body and we scratch our heads and think, do they not notice that they just found the same person in a different body? But most people assume that um, that uh, th- that all you got to do is get rid of whatever it is that's troublesome.
1: Because well, the grass is greener on the other side.
0: That's right. But if you don't change your template inside of you about what love is and the kind of love that you feel like you deserve, I mean, you're just going to repeat the same pattern over, or, or, over. Or who you are. That's right. It all gets down to how you feel about yourself. Right. And again, the rescue fantasy is really powerful for a lot of empathic people because mm-hmm. you spend your life trying to rescue your fantasy your, your family. And then you just bring that recipe into your love life. When you get old enough to, to start um, having romantic relationships and it does not change until you understand that uh, that recipe is a recipe uh, that's d- destined for disaster. Because I'll tell you again, I know I've said this before, but every single time I work with somebody whose relationship is either failing or has failed, I ask them the same question. Did you have any idea that this issue that broke your relationship up was uh, a part of the picture? And I will tell you, Kim, nobody has ever said no. Yeah. And then,
1: I mean I mean, when you do a post-mortem of a relationship, right? the yeah. red flags were always there,
0: right? And, and so then the obvious question is, well, what were you thinking that you engaged in a relationship that you knew wasn't going to work in the first place? And as you know.
1: <clears throat> well, it's the analogy I use, right? It's like, so if you were going to build a home and you are and you notice that the foundation that you just poured is cracked, would you still build that home? Uh, because of, <laughs> some people <'cause> of, would. <laughs> some people would, but a lot of people in relationships do, yeah, right? Yes. Thinking that that's only a crack right? It's not going to mean anything, but eventually that house is going to fall down, right? That cl- crack is going to get bigger. That crack is going to go out in, in multiple directions. And, and eventually that foundation is going to fail.
0: Yes. And most people act like it's a giant surprise that that happened, even though they knew ahead of time, because everybody says to me that they use magical thinking in order to get past what their intuition is telling them. I thought he was would change. I thought you would change. I was really scared to be alone. You know, I've heard every fantasy that you could imagine that a person would apply to a relationship that it doesn't ever come true. Oh, well, you know, we're going to have another kid. It's going to make the relationship better. Uh, I don't know about you, but having kids is not an easy thing. Right? <laughs> if anything, it's going to crack the relationship oh, even hey, further because of the stress and the exhaustion. But, you know, people come up with all kinds of magical ways of externalizing their problems and figuring their if it's externalized then the solution must be external also, instead of really understanding that what you bring to the table is a lack of loyalty toward yourself. And if you're not faithful to yourself, why should anyone be faithful to you? Cause you're setting the tone, whether you're aware of it or not. So if you're not true to yourself, you don't listen to yourself. And then you get really upset because your partner is not interested in listening to you and, 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 and being respectful and, uh, and honorable in the relationship, you've already set the tone without even realizing that you've done it because you're not being true to yourself. And as you know, from your own experience, the more that you are willing to treat yourself with respect and, and and to stop sort of kidding yourself into thinking that I'll just find the right woman and everything's going to be fine. And, you know, started focusing on what you brought to the table. The more likely it is that things are going to work out for you in a positive way. That's the hope. Well, I mean, I've seen it bear out more times than not. Um, it, it just seems to work that way.
1: All right. So now, now that I know myself, and now that I know what I want, how do I pick the right person?
0: Um. I. Th- I think that. Um. If you're, if, you, if you're really connected with yourself on a deep level, that you will get a feeling with whoever that comes into your life, whether it's a romantic partner or a friend, whether this is someone uh, that feels safe to connect with. And usually, if you trust that and you act accordingly, then people start coming into your life that treat you with respect because they get a feeling unconsciously that that's what you require in order for them to have a relationship with you. If you go into a relationship with this idea that the rescue fantasy is the template for love, then people are going to be attracted to you because they know you're going to take care of them and that you're going to do backflips and somersaults to try to make their life better, which never works because they end up feeling controlled and you end up feeling dismissed. But it's a lovely fantasy.
1: So so now here lies the rub, right? So now I've I've known myself, right? I've manifested correctly the right person into my life, uh-huh. right? Now that's an unfamiliar feeling to me, right? Because now this is authentic love or an authentic relationship. Uh So now my mind, my ego wants to go to the self-sabotage mode because this can't possibly be a good thing for me. My heart's been broken before. I can't take it anymore. Um, So I want to make sure that I find fault in this relationship before this person finds fault in me. Then it's their problem, not my problem, and so be it. And I'll move on to my my dysfunctional relationship past forward.
0: Well, if you know that about yourself, you can be mindful of the choices you're making in the name of fear.
1: But, but don't, don't a lot of, isn't that though pretty common thinking for something that you've done some work and then the feeling is unfamiliar to you. And it's like all of a sudden, like you were saying, the fear Mm kind of comes back, but in a different way this time. Right. So this can't be possibly good for me. So I'm going to sabotage this relationship.
0: Well, and again, it gets down to your relationship with yourself and whether you respect your fear and listen to what it's trying to tell you, or you just allow it to run your life. Because if you know that you're really afraid and you're starting to fantasize about ways to sabotage the relationship and you're aware that you're doing it, you can stop and you can talk to your partner about it. And, and, and explain to your partner that it's really scary for you to have a close relationship with someone, that you're not used to it. So you got to go slowly and not push it too fast and too hard. And that, um, and that it's out of respect to the other person that you're going slowly so that you can feel trusting and not feeling like you need to sabotage it because it feels too scary for you at this moment in your life. Because the closer you get to a person, in a slow way, you can get used to it. And then it starts to actually feel really good because it's satisfying a need that's never been satisfied before. And I think that, that that's what makes the difference. If, if you just give in to the fear and you start searching for imperfections, you're going to find them because everybody's got them. Um, and again, I, you know, I'm not trying to say that you got to find a perfect person who's got no problems, but. Usually, Is that, does that person exist? I don't think so, but I think that there are certain issues that are big enough to really you know, take men, I mean, to, to take stock of and really decide whether this is something the magical thinking will cure.
1: I, I told you my unicorn story, right? Where um, a few weeks ago, um, I ran into this little girl uh, that was dressed head to toe in unicorn attire. <laughs> and I asked her, I said, You like unicorns? And she goes, Yeah. <laughs> and I said, Have you ever seen a unicorn? And she goes, Yeah. And um, I said, wow, I said, I've never seen a unicorn before. I said, could you tell me where they live? And she goes, no. And I said, why not? And she goes, and, and I'm, I'm not kidding you. This is probably, she's five or six. She goes, because you don't believe.
0: <laughs> so she took care of which you. Which had to be,
1: which Which this this girl was obviously channeling as a metaphor to, right. to my view of relationships. Uh-huh. Right, that, that we're out there looking. When you mentioned the perfect person, we're looking for that unicorn, right? Right, that person that that matches us perfectly. And and like you said, you know w- whether they match us perfectly or not, our, uh, you know, our conscious mind falls back into the familiar pattern of well, we got to start nitpicking this relationship because it, it it can't be this good, right? Right. And I hate to dwell on that thing, but I just see so many people, including myself, that do that, and now me kind of believing in manifesting. and, and, and again, you know, you, you know this story that I had, in my mind, I already knew that I was going to meet somebody in a foreign country. I just didn't happen to know that she was going to be an American girl in a foreign country. I thought I was going to be a foreign girl in a foreign country. And, and yeah, that that actually happened to me, right? So I have to kind of believe in this manifestation when I was clear knowing who I was. And clear who I want to attract in my life. Out of nowhere, this person walks in the in this door into this rural area in Belize, and and it's like, okay, this is weird,
0: uh-huh.
1: right? And so now I have to be completely conscious all the time that I don't fall back into, well, she's younger than me, she doesn't live in the same city as me, um. E- Whatever, you know, there's, there could be a laundry list of other reasons that I could sit there and think, well, it's not going to work out because of all these things instead of, you know, where I'm consciously thinking, well, not that it happened for a reason, but the universe conspired for this to happen. Because this is what I was thinking was going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to play it out.
0: Yes. Yes. It takes a lot of courage.
1: It takes a lot of courage,
0: right? It would because it's be much easier to just say, oh, it's not going to work and just go on your merry way.
1: Well, well it has it has the equal percentage, right, of, of working as it does not working.
0: Well, I'm not sure that that's 100% true because I do believe in destiny and fate. And maybe that's
1: just my shield being up, <laughs> being, uh, protecting myself, like, ah, 50-50 odds. Well,
0: I, I I I just don't think that the universe is that random. And that for the longest time you've been looking for someone that you could really connect with and feel the kind of love that your heart has always desired. And it happened in the most unusual way. And I can't believe that's for no reason. It's just really hard for me to imagine that because that would just seem like like whatever your version of God is, it's just toying with you and, <laughs> and messing with you and, and that it's going to, you know, it's for it's just going to end up hurting you. Well, I, I, I just a, can't believe that.
1: I, I still unfortunately have a certain level of skepticism, but, sure. I, but, but again, I'm for the first time in my adult life of relationships, I'm just enjoying the moment. Right. And again, if it's meant to have wheels, it will have wheels. And if, and if it's not, what? and it's not that, that I'm going to be indifferent about it. I'm, Gonna pursue. I'm gonna do the things that I think that I that I need to do to to evolve this relationship to see if it does have a, a future right. to it, or it it was just another reminder to me, well, and and not and not a bad reminder, but another reminder that that there is somebody out there.
0: Right. Well, and you've asked me many times, how come you got so lucky?
1: You, I'm asking you, Dana Saperstein, how you yeah. got so lucky. Yes, yeah. I've asked you that,
0: and and I didn't really understand fully until you and I had this conversation about uh, why it happened the way that it did. And if I can just give a brief, I've already talked about this before, but um, when I was 20, I was living in San Diego and my roommate and I decided um, that we wanted to move to Hawaii. I wanted to go surfing. He didn't even surf, but he said, yeah, that sounds like a great adventure. Right? So we had no idea anything about Hawaii. This was back in the dark ages, 1976. Right. And so We buy tickets to Maui. We didn't even know what Maui was um, or what we were going to do once we got to the airport. So, you know, we fly to Maui and we're standing at the airport like idiots trying to figure out what to do. And some man walks up to us and says, hey, what do you guys, you know, what's the deal? I said, well, we just arrived. We have no idea where to go or what to do. And he said, oh, throw your surfboard in my truck. I'll take you to uh, to the, you know, other side of the island where most uh, new people come. So he takes us to Lahaina. He deposits us at a at a little hotel. We check into the hotel and we're just hanging out and it's really beautiful. And we like, okay, that was pretty sweet. So we wake up the next morning and we're sitting in the swimming pool and some man comes up to us and says, Hey, uh, what are you guys doing? And we said, Oh, we just moved here yesterday and we're just hanging out trying to figure out, you know, how we're going to find a way to live and work. And, and he said, well, what do you guys do for a living? And both of us just happened to have, a lot of experience as waiters. And he said, oh, I'm opening up a restaurant next week. Would you like to be my waiters? And it turned out that he had a, uh, was going to be the manager of a really high-end Italian restaurant. And he said, all you got to do is go to the tuxedo store and get some tuxedo pants and a ruffled shirt and a cummerbund, and you guys can be my waiters. I just thought, wow, this is pretty sweet. So, you know, we do it. And then the next day we figure, well, we got to find a place to live. So we're standing on the side of the highway. You're not allowed to stick out your thumb in Hawaii to, um, uh, to hitchhike. You do have to just stand there like an idiot, and people know what you're doing. So this woman stops her car and picks us up, and it turns out it was somebody from San Diego that had recently moved to Maui that we didn't even know moved there. And she said, what are you guys doing here? And we said, oh, we're just looking for a place to live. And she said, oh, come to my apartment. The one next door is uh, going to be empty next week. And so she takes us to her apartment building, and we meet the people that uh, are living there. And we rent the place, and we buy their car, and so within two or three days, we're completely set up effortlessly, uh, you know, to begin our life in Hawaii. That's more than a confluence of circumstances. Well, I didn't know it at the time. I just thought, wow, Hawaii is a pretty amazing place. We should (laughs) have came here earlier, (laughs) right? So, you know, we start in the restaurant. Everything's going great, and and somebody says, hey, there's a beach up north that you guys got to check out. It's very remote you got to climb down a cliff to get there. Nobody's ever there. The reef is still alive and pristine and really lovely. So we start hanging out at that beach. Is that uh, It's one bay below Honolulu oh. Bay uh, at a place called Slaughterhouse. So one day uh, my friend and I and another friend are sitting, or we arrive at the beach there and there's three women uh, sitting with each other in this beautiful cove. And we were the only people on the beach, right? So I'm staring at one of these women, and I just cannot keep my eyes off of her. I thought she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my entire life. I was also kind of upset with myself because she looked like she was about 14 or 15 years old. (laughs) So I kept saying, Danny, you're such a perv, man. (laughs) Stop staring at this girl. And super shy at that time. There's no way in the world I would have ever approached a woman uh, under any circumstances. So I go out snorkeling. I find these beautiful shells, and I just you know, walking out of the water and I look up and there's this woman that I'd been staring at just sitting on the beach by herself right at the shoreline. So I don't know what possessed me, Kim, but I sat down next to her and I started talking to her. Never done anything like that in my entire life. Super shy and and uh, very v- certain that, you know, there was no, sp- no pr- pretty woman <laughs> like me. So all of a sudden it was like uh, fireworks shooting off. We were so drawn to each other. It was crazy. And, you know, we sat and chatted for about half an hour, and it turns out that she was six months older than me, even though she looked years younger, and that she just finished nursing school and came to Hawaii on vacation with her two sisters. And I said, well, you know, sometimes my friends and I go dancing at this place uh, down the road, and would you guys consider meeting us that night? She said, I don't know. You know, she didn't tell me at that time she had a boyfriend and that she was engaged or whatever the situation was. So I, you know, went back to sit with my friends and said, hey, we might have dates tonight. (laughs) So we go to this place and we're hanging out and we're there for two or three hours and they don't show up. So we're just getting up to leave and they walk in the door. And so I start dancing with this woman and we absolutely fell madly in love with each other in that moment and spent the next two weeks uh, uh, inseparable. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, Hawaii and how romantic it is, and how when you're 20, you know <laughs> what things are like. It was a most amazing experience. But her sisters were really worried because I had long hair and I was a, you know, pot smoker and a, and a hippie. So they called Dad and said, "Hey, uh, our sister lost her marbles. You know, she's hanging out with a surfer dude, <laughs> and you better straighten her out in a big hurry." So he calls boyfriend. Who ends up, you know, calling her and saying, "I'm coming to Hawaii," and, and I thought that that was going to be the end of our relationship because um, the person that I met was not somebody who would ever be unfaithful, and it was only because of how powerful our connection was that uh, that we were hanging out together. Um, again, I'm making a long. St- I'll make the long story shorter. Um, she ended up leaving Hawaii. I never thought I would see her again, but somehow she had my parents' uh, address, and a year or so later, she contacted them and we started hanging out again and have been together ever since. I didn't realize the magic that took place that made life so effortless for me to meet her. And then when you and I were talking, I was thinking about what it was like when I was four years old, and I lived in Brazil, and this woman came into my life to take care of me, who, upon looking at her picture after you and I talked, she looks exactly like my wife. Mm -hmm. Same body, same Mm -hmm. everything. And she was the person in my early life that taught me what love felt like for the very, very first time.
1: So you had that imprint.
0: So I think there was an imprint inside of me and I think I, 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 without even realizing it, I was searching for that kind of love. And it was
1: a healthy imprint for you.
0: For me, because it yeah. was the first time I ever felt true love because my parents were so out to lunch and my mom was so vacant that when this woman came into our life, I was like a little duckling following her around everywhere she went because she loved me and I loved her and we were inseparable for the for the time that I lived in Brazil. And I was so brokenhearted when we left her behind. And I think I spent the rest of my life trying to find her again. And I think I really did find her in my wife. Because when I look back, I realize it was that kind of love that she brought to the table. And it was so amazing to me to make that realization. So I think that that's why I got lucky. Because I had that experience, even though it was short-lived, to know what true love felt like. And I think that my body, my soul was looking for that for the rest of my, uh, for the rest of my life. And then it, I just happened to be lucky enough to, to listen to the inspiration to move to Hawaii and to to do what I did in order to find this woman. It's like a true American love story there. <laughs> well, movie of the week. I know that it's difficult for us because the, the, the term soulmate has been so overused and and, um, uh, you know, yeah, I have, a, I have
1: a, as you know, I have a little bit of
0: an issue with yeah, that, that you know, term. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, you know, it's been overused, that's for sure. But I really do believe that my soul was looking for that kind of love. And when it found it, it recognized it. Because I was ready to marry this girl after I knew her for two weeks and I was only 21 years old at the time. So
1: I, I think it goes back to how we started this conversation about, you know, people, figuring out how to pick the right person in their life, their person, right? right. And going back to our, our premise on everything is intuition, right? You uh-huh. have that, you have that feeling, right? It's right. so when I met this girl in Belize, it wasn't, uh-huh. you know, uh, uh, of course she was attractive and and all that stuff, but it was a feeling that I got that I had to know this person.
0: Right. Yes. And, and I'd had enough therapy at that point in my life that I wasn't horribly self-destructive when it came to my relationships with women. I may have been super shy and and uh, had only gone out with women that approached me, and luckily I wasn't uh, so unattractive that women wouldn't approach me. <laughs> um, so when we got together, I, I never felt the need to sabotage it at all because I was in therapy and I was working really hard on knowing myself. And actually, when the two of us got together and really cemented our relationship, I insisted that, uh, that she do some therapy in order to um get to know herself, so that we could be connected to each other in as healthy a way as possible, and it made a really big difference because in her family you were not allowed to argue about anything. You had to pretend like everything was okay all the time, and there's no such thing as a relationship where everything is okay all the time. So she learned how to express her feelings and especially her anger and disappointment, and you know. And then a while later, I said to her, you know, I didn't expect you to get this good at it because she got really good at it. (laughs) Maybe she should have been the
1: therapist. That's
0: right. (laughs) So again, you know, we've been together for a million years and we still really love each other, but I really believe that, um, that because I was searching for that kind of love again, that that's what brought me to her. So
1: I'm going to ask you a question that I asked you earlier that we've had a discussion on that. I was kind of searching in my own head for the answer for what, is the interpretation of true love to you?
0: Um. Well, I, you know, it gets back to the conversation we had last time about dependency. Um, I really feel like, for me, true love is feeling like my life is not complete without this other person in it. And that if something ever happened to her, I'm not sure how I would ever survive losing her. I know that I would ultimately choose to live, but I'm not sure. And sometimes I think about it, how would I ever live without her? Because I am that connected to her, and I feel that dependent on her as my partner and my source of security and the you know mom of my kids, and she's just such a lovely person in those ways, that I don't want to live my life without her. And I don't feel weakened by that. I actually feel s- strengthened by the fact that, that I have a partner in the world that I love that much and who seems to tolerate me and, and love me, and, and so that's a healthy dependency piece. That's what it feels like to me. Um, And again, I know it's not the way you're supposed to live in America, right? You're supposed to be independent, not rely on anybody and just take care of yourself. Well,
1: now it's called toxic independence. Right, right. Right, Because because even married couples are living so independently now that it's caused the divorce rate to even skyrocket now.
0: Right. Well, part of what happened during COVID is that a lot of marriages fell apart because most marriages were based on... Because people had to look
1: at each other now. Yeah,
0: but most marriages were based on maybe a couple hours every evening... And maybe a little bit of time on the weekends where they hung out together. And that was okay. Their relationships worked and that it was enough intimacy to satisfy both partners and that neither one ever had to show up fully. And then all of a sudden, actually, you know, these people are, are, are stuck with each other at home. And it ruined so many relationships that I don't think would have been ruined otherwise. Because, you know, either you start drinking really heavily and, you know, do whatever people do, eat too much and all that crap in order to numb themselves. Should just tune out right? Or you start to pay attention to the fact that you hardly even knew your husband or wife and that maybe now is the time to develop a greater sense of intimacy, but most people don't choose that path. And so uh, all the divorce attorneys I know went from maybe getting two or three or four clients a month to like 10 a week because so many marriages were falling apart because they needed to, uh, because they were forced to spend time with each other.
1: Yeah, you were, you you made an important uh, differentiation to me uh, off topic, but you said whence disdain enters the equation for the other person in your life? Yes. That's pretty much the catalyst for it's over.
0: Well, there's a, there's a man who, uh, I can't think of his name right now, who studies relationships and uh, and um, he watches people to see how they communicate with each other and then predicts whether the relationship is salvageable or not and you know, what the indications are of a, of a hopeless relationship. And in his uh, research, he's found that as soon as disdain enters the picture, it's pretty much hopeless. It's hard to come back from disdaining your partner. And people get to that point where they just absolutely start to hate each other. And they can't even stand each other's presence because it just reminds them of their loneliness and their emptiness and all the stuff that um, they were hoping that the relationship would take care of. Um, and it's really sad because, you know, that stuff was always there, but they were able to sort of cover it up by um, being in a in a fantasy-type relationship, either through rescue or who knows what. And then it, that starts to fall apart, and then you realize you don't even know the person or you don't really even like the person that you're married to. And it's quite sad because, it you know, the divorce rate's really high in this country.
1: Yeah, I, I almost think now that... that- people get into relationships knowing that that probably could be the end result or, or maybe the end result into it. Um, and almost that gives them an out already.
0: Um, it's just like, uh, that I don't
1: really have to work on it that hard because if it gets really that hard and, and it gets painful and I have to ex- exert that much of bandwidth, just easier to get divorced and move on because the grass is greener on the other side. I don't really want to evolve the relationship. Right. really don't want to get to know me, and I surely don't want to get to know you more. So it's just easier just to, to sign this piece of paper, pay some money, and and move on to the next relationship.
0: Well, you know, I, you remember when we were little kids. I know Muller knew, but there used to be a wash uh, appliance repair people, and there used to be TV repair people. Well, I
1: remember the milkman coming into the house and putting in the refrigerator, yeah, so I'm I mean, not that to, young.
0: There used to be all kinds of people that could repair things when they broke and, and that we, we looked at stuff as being repairable. Right. There's no such thing as a, re- a repair person anymore. If something breaks, you just throw it away and get another one. And I think that that concept has affected our relationships also, That um, that it's so much easier to throw it away than it is to repair it. And I think that's really tragic because I think that a lot of relationships could be repaired, if people had the courage to take responsibility for themselves. So when I meet people and I'm working with them, I always say to them, you know, you're, you've become an expert at your partner and all the things you don't like or like about him or her, but your expertise is only going to make things worse because it just makes you really good at blaming the other person for the problems. What you need to do is become an expert on yourself and recognize what you're doing or not doing that's messing up the relationship. So if you're willing to switch from blaming your partner taking responsibility for yourself, I may be able to help you solve your relationship, but not otherwise.
1: So we've talked about what it takes in your in yourself to develop that healthy relationship, and then move on to a healthy, loving relationship. We've talked about manifesting and, and clarity, and trusting your intuition in terms of your picker, and not and not your your. Uh, Excel spreadsheet of, of everything you want in, in a partner. Um, so what makes, what's the makeup of a healthy relationship? What keeps a healthy relationship going? You've been married for, for some 40 odd years. We'll, we'll have some uh, future guests on the show that have been married, I think over for 50 years, um, for somebody that was in a relationship for 11 years, um, which doesn't seem like a very long time looking at people that have been married 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years is, uh, I can't fathom that, right? I can't fathom how you keep, how you keep that going. How does that love continue to continue to evolve? How do you continue to keep that relationship fresh? Um, and, and, and I know there's the, you know, um, the give and take factor there's the constant communication factor there's not walking on eggshells and being transparent and vulnerable with your partner but without vomiting on them in, in that way but i'm kind of interested not only from my standpoint from the listener standpoint that are you know f- trying to figure out uh, you know if are in a relationship have found the re- right relationship hope to find the right relationship how do i keep the magic going
0: uh Well, Is that the
1: the billion dollars, a million dollars doesn't sound like a lot these days. So is that the billion dollar question now?
0: Well, I think it gets back to something we just started to talk about a few minutes ago, which is uh, um, the concept of your soul leading you toward uh, somebody that you're destined to be with. Um, You can call that a soulmate if you want to, if you're willing to entertain that overused term. But I think that there is an internal recognition when you really fall in love with somebody that you respect very deeply and that you feel like you don't want to live your life without, that you take responsibility for yourself. And whenever there's a problem, it's so much easier to blame your partner and so much easier to think that your partner is the one that's causing the problem. Um, I think that what's kept my marriage partly healthy in that way is that um, anytime my wife and I have a disagreement, I remind myself that I am not the easiest person in the world to live with. So I may be right about whatever it is we're arguing about, but that's not the point. The point is, am I being respectful? Well, she agrees
1: with you too <laughs> on, that, on that premise. I know that.
0: But, but my idea is, you know, why don't you be grateful and gracious towards somebody who's willing to live with you and take such good care of you? And that, yeah, of course, you may be right about whatever the point is you're trying to make. But in order for you to be right, the other person has to be wrong. And I don't know about you, but nobody likes to feel wrong. It's humiliating. It feels shaming. And so I try my best not to. uh,
1: Well, it's like they say in a successful negotiation. And I'm sorry, using a business analogy here. But it has to be a win-win. Otherwise, it's not a successful negotiation. Yeah. One, yeah. one can't take more than the other, or at least the other person can't think they got taken for, right? That's right. There has to be, there has to be this quid pro quo a, a, a little bit. Maybe somebody got a little bit more than the other, but it wasn't unfair.
0: Right. Well, but the other part of it is that um, if you know yourself well, and one thing I know about myself is that when I get angry, um, my mind becomes crystal clear. And the angrier I get, the clearer my mind becomes. That is not the case for a lot of people, especially for someone like my wife, who when she gets angry, um, she gets so caught up in the feeling that um, uh, that her mind doesn't get clear. It gets sort of... Uh,
1: so it's more rageful seeing red instead of...
0: Yeah, and so I think to myself, well, what must it be like to be with somebody whose mind gets crystal clear when they're pissed instead of... Uh, Like me, who, or like her, who, you know, has a really hard time staying present intellectually when they feel really angry. So that unfairness helps me back off a little bit and realize that driving my point home, it's only going to make her feel bad. And how important really is it that I be right? Even though, you know, we all like to feel right and we all like to feel like, you know, we're the, uh, you know, the masters of our destiny and all of that. I kind try not to win on principle. yeah, I try to step back from that mm. notion and and um, try to express myself in a kinder way than I would otherwise. And I think that makes a bit of a difference that that I try not to give up my kindness just because I'm really angry or feel outraged for some reason to realize that not everybody's like me, and I can't expect the world to revolve around me. In that way, even though if you talk to my dad, he'd say that, (laughs) that the revolve, you know, revolves around only us.
1: (laughs) So, so basically taking the stance is not about me.
0: Well, it's not about me being right. If we have a disagreement, it's about both of us trying to figure out how to come up with a compromise that feels like you say that feels fair. So again, I think that if we can recognize how grateful we should be to the people that are willing to live with us and put up with us, even though we might think we're easy to live with, nobody's easy to live with. We all have our peculiarities and our ways of, of uh, being annoying to each other sometimes and being loving to each other other times. Um, and I just remind myself sometimes that, you know, you're lucky, you married up, and so take a step back from your self-righteous self And do the best you can to, you know, make your point, but not drive it home in a way that humiliates the other person.
1: So we're coming to the end of uh, this hour-long conversation. I think we've covered a lot about the foundations of of a relationship and and what you should and shouldn't be looking for in in terms of those relationships and and how they evolve or de-evolve in that way. Can you kind of give us a couple quick key takeaways uh, from this discussion um, in terms of of healthy dependence, healthy relationships, healthy partnerships.
0: Well, um, I know this is going to be uh, maybe not the exact answer that you're looking for, but people have been trying to figure out love for a million years. You and I were talking earlier about Plato back in the You know, how many thousands of years ago was he around?
1: He was BC and that was not before COVID.
0: That's right. And so, you know, his idea was that we were born complete, men and women, and that somehow we displeased the gods. And so we got split in half the male and female sides and scattered around the globe and that we spend our lives looking for our other half. And it may be not necessarily literally that that's the case, but I really do believe that that. Um, if we listen to what we're feeling really really deep down inside in relationship to other people, we can know whether that person theoretically could be our other half and that that's the person to try to work out a relationship with. But that's not based on rescuing the person. That's not based on any fantasy other than, boy, I sure feel more complete having this person in my life. And I sure feel a sense of security security and, and uh, contentment that I don't feel without her. So I would ask people to look at it from that perspective if they can. And it takes a lot of trust within yourself to come from that place. Right? You have to be really willing to listen to what your body is trying to tell you in relationship you know, to the person that you're uh, giving your heart to. And I don't know that most people have the courage to do that because of the fear factor that you and I talk about mm-hmm. all the time. Right? If you feel like you're sabotaging a relationship that, that in, in a way feels really good, it's because you're scared about the goodness, not because it's a problem. Right, right, right. And then it's entirely likely that you're afraid of the goodness as you are afraid of whatever the problems might be because it's terrifying to open your heart to someone and potentially lose that person.
1: Well, I, I think I'll close by reiterating that healthy dependence yes. creates greater independence.
0: Absolutely, from there. So then you're not fighting all the time.
1: Then you're not fighting all the time. So hopefully our listeners got something out of this for uh, this relationship episode. I know we talked about a lot of different things within a relationship, but uh, I mean we could have a show on its own just by relationships, and it's not going to end here. We got uh, we got a little bit more work to do on relationships before moving to the next thing. But thanks, Dana. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Kim. We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions. Feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.